Hello, and thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. I wanted to talk for a couple minutes today about the 360 cameras. I've mentioned them a few times before, but they're really cool. I've really uh, kind of grown to appreciate some of the 360 visualizations that you can get done. I think um, what I well, what I had been using, what I had rented out was the GoPro Fusion camera. That's a, a version of the camera that it's that's or that's a version of a 360 camera that's come out just this year. And so uh, it's really pretty cool. I've been excited to be uh, working with it a bit. I've just rented it to to use it. The best part of it is the digital gimbal system that helps you stabilize it once you've rendered the footage so it really comes out really smooth really clear really well stabilized and that it just seems like a huge benefit when you're visualizing it but it seems like it's a really professional looking 5.2k rendition of the video that you shot so it's been really interesting to work with i, I really like that one i guess other cameras out there right now are the rilo and then there's another camera produced by rico the theta camera and i, I know that produces some video and i know it, it shoots still photographs too uh, which can be pretty interesting visualizations, but uh, but all of those are kind of interesting to check out. Definitely details and, and you know speeds and feeds on all of those products. But the one that I really liked the most was uh, was working with the GoPro Fusion. Seemed like it was a, a bit of a step ahead. I think the most expensive on the market right now, but it might also come with some of the the highest level features and uh, comes waterproof comes with just a lot of stuff it's really great i really appreciate that one it's really fun to to rent out and it's definitely a much cheaper price just to rent out that's the thing i noticed though rendering the files out using the files storing the files just having it a week and, and kind of going pretty hard with it on a trip i've rendered out 1.25 terabytes of ProRes data from it so big files i don't know hopefully you'll get a new hard drive when you rent it that's what you need to save your money for You can see more of my work at BillyNewmanPhoto.com. You can check out some of my photo books on Amazon. I think you can look up uh, Billy Newman under the authors section there and see uh, some of the photo books on film, on the desert, on surrealism, on camping. Some cool stuff over there. I wanted to talk about a uh, a trip that I did out to Eastern Oregon here uh, just a little while back in the end of October, and it was kind of cool getting out to camp uh, kind of late in October. It was nice, I guess, this year with uh, without having a lot of like wet weather days over in Eastern Oregon, so we've had like a lot of clear weather. I think it's been clear and then also pretty cold here for like the last like week or two, but it had been uh, above freezing for a while into October this year. I remember years past, it would be like below freezing, uh, at least by like the, the 10th of October. I mean, even by like the, the 5th or so, I remember sometimes they, uh, you know, being in uh, below freezing temperatures, especially over in Eastern Oregon, up in the mountains and stuff, or, or even in the, the, you know, the plateau areas of the Great Basin. I remember some areas out there being like uh, below freezing by quite a bit, but this year it was, it was still pretty nice. Uh, pretty far into October. I was, I was kind of impressed, but by the time I was out there uh, for this trip, it was freezing, I'm pretty sure. So I was, uh, I think I went out, went out over to Eastern Oregon and I was out uh, kind of in like that, um, like the high desert lakes area. So there's like, um, there's, there's a few lakes that are all kind of like gathered together over there. Uh, I think it's like Silver Lake, Summer Lake, Abert Lake, Summer Summer Lake I talked about. There's Goose Lake that's further south. There's like Crump Lake. There's 
like there's a few others, but there, but like also some of them have kind of like dried out now too. But uh, that whole area out there, as it kind of stretches over toward like Highway 395, further east from there, has a bunch of features and terrain that I don't really think I've explored too much of. Well, I've explored like a bit of it before, but uh, but there's a bunch of stuff out there that I thought would be kind of cool to check out. And there's, I, mean, I hardly got to any of it really. I think there's. Uh, like really big areas that uh, that stretch out for a long amount of distance that are probably pretty hard to well or I don't know they're I think they're all like pretty big stretches of public land that's what's really cool about that area is it's really um, big like vast expanses of BLM land through a lot of that desert land but it's also kind of difficult to traverse is what I was going to say uh, that the roads there aren't really very well maintained and there really aren't that many roads. So it's cool. You can get out and uh, uh, if you have, if you have the time, you can hike those roads or you can hike off uh, anywhere you want, like off those roads and, and just kind of like uh, check out the, the area and the land around it. And uh, it's, it's definitely like a really interesting um, kind of, kind of landscape out there. But that's what I've always liked about the, the high desert lakes area out there. So the, the kind of like landscape and the trees and the rim rock and the way that that looks out there, I always thought was uh, pretty cool. So I, I took off over there, especially this time of year in October. It's really fun. I think um, uh, a lot of the areas that I were in uh, was really just like those, the juniper trees and sagebrush and stuff. But uh, but the way that the cloud textures are over Eastern Oregon are always uh, pretty cool uh, this time of year in in like kind of late, late mid-October. Um, but it's also really cool when you can come up upon some aspen trees, like the aspen trees over there this time of year are really cool because they, they kind of turn from that green leafed tree with the white bark and they have these really uh, red or orange kind of fiery leaves and they look really cool and, and kind of dramatic and um, they have like a cool contrast in the landscape over there in eastern Oregon. So it's cool you can kind of come up on a, a grove of those. They seem to sort of grow in a cluster together over there in, in certain places when you get to uh, certain elevations when they're uh, in good spots to grow. But up in those, the mountain passes there, or I think like some of those mountain rims in uh, in eastern Oregon have uh, some clusters of them. And it's really cool that you can kind of come up on them. I think up in the, uh, like the Fremont Winema National Forest as you were coming up to the rim over Summer Lake, I think I saw like a bunch of them over there. And I remember driving up through a number of those and it was really cool there's, there's yeah, just big groves of them and all the leaves kind of turn like really red orange bright colors as they're starting to drop and this was really cool especially in uh, years like this where it hasn't really uh, had a ton of rain or a ton of um, I guess even like early snow or just big storms that had come through and kind of knocked those leaves out prematurely so a lot of them seem like they've been holding up pretty well and it's got kind of a, a bright kind of crisp look to it this October uh, given that uh, there hasn't been much rain and it's been pretty clear and it's just been you know a little bit of wind and now that it's frozen, uh, I think the leaves are going to start dropping pretty quick and now that the rain's probably going to come through or a couple sets of storms are going to come through. So out there in eastern Oregon, I, uh, I came up on a spot to camp that I thought was pretty cool and I was driving around through. Uh, what I did is I, I took off from the main highway and I took this mountain road that cuts off into BLM rant land and it's real rocky, real bumpy, almost doesn't look like a road at some time. So I threw it into like four-wheel drive low for a lot of it to just kind of like crawl over a, a bunch of the rocks. So I just kind of take it real slow and uh, kind of take my time getting over stuff. And 
I took a couple miles back into this road and then I would kind of stop along the way and then take up some hikes like out to the left or the right of the truck and then uh, kind of make like a little bit of a loop and then come back around to the truck and uh, just sort of check out the area and see what was going on out there and uh, I had my camera with me so I got to like walk around and take pictures and stuff and then I've also on this trip been trying to take a bunch of video clips like where I'd uh, I'd like to take my tripod out with me on that little a little bit of a hike or something that I do, or you know, a little walk around that I do. And then, uh, yeah, stop, set up the tripod, take a, a longer clip of video or a pan of video so that I have that in my collection also, and then take a, a couple sets of photos. But it was cool, uh, and I like this area and this time of year, too. You know, it's tough in the summertime out there in eastern Oregon, and also I think sometimes in the wintertime, too, when it's sunny. Um, but uh, but when it gets like uh, real sunny and it's real clear out, you get this kind of like uh, haziness to the sky a little bit, and everything just sort of looks a little bit more blown out with the sun and the way that the shadows look on the ground, especially through like the midday. So real early in the morning, it can look really cool as the light's kind of coming up over the horizon, and real late in the afternoon as it's kind of getting near the horizon again. Over in the west, that can look pretty cool, but when it's real clear, it looks it looks really uh, kind of blown out and washed out and harsh during the day, and it, it definitely looks like that a lot during the summer if the sun's real high up above. Um, but now, as it gets kind of in the fall here, uh, what's cool is you have like a bunch of these uh, kind of textured clouds moving across the sky as part of the weather pattern, and so you get uh, sort of a more textured landscape, and you also get uh, a lot of shade cast with the highlights of sun sort of still coming through it on days that aren't totally overcast. So that was what was fortunate for me. And that's sort of part of what you get is the weather on uh, some of the circumstances of weather that you get uh, during this uh, this period of time from uh, from like kind of mid-October into November before, uh, before it gets kind of real wintry and stormy out there as you get into later November. But this time of year is really cool. So uh, I really like that part of it a lot where you can kind of go out and you see like a lot of texture in the sky as it kind of goes up in elevation up into the sky. But you still see, you know, some sunny sky. You see kind of color to that light that's uh, sort of cast through the clouds. And uh, and you also see color in the clouds and texture in the clouds. Uh, and I don't know, it just seems like you get like a little bit more. Uh, a little bit more to photograph and i always like that when the the sky's got some texture in it so that's kind of cool with the with some of the landscape work that i was trying to do out there in eastern oregon and uh i thought it was uh, pretty fun going out there but it was cool this uh the spot that i came up to camp at which uh, was sort of like by the end of the day was this uh pretty small i guess it would have been a pond or it would have been like a real small lake probably like a five acre lake bed uh, but now it's dried out. There's no water up there at all. But for uh, maybe what kind of gathers there, incidentally, through the year, as it sort of collects across the landscape like it would have naturally. But it's really nowhere near as much as it would have been before. But it's cool. It's up along this uh, this piece of rim rock that sort of stretches along and then kind of connects into the hillside. But below that there is like this big lake area. And you can kind of see how flat the the landscape is there as it sort of had been settled with the lake bed over time and then as it kind of lifts up on the under the banks of that as the rocks sort of reappeared and then kind of turned up into rim rock. But it was cool. I, uh, I got to drive my truck just kind of like right out onto the lake bed, which is really just like uh, like a grown-up meadow now. And then there's two track truck tracks that kind of cut and crisscross through the, the lake bed there back and forth. But 
Um, but yeah, I, I like uh, pulled off and it's just sort of like listed as a road. I pulled off into this little lake and crossed over it to the other side toward the rim rock and then got to hang out and then set up a camp over there. And it looked like people had already been there. And there was like a fire ring set up and it was kind of a, a cleared out area with a, sort of like a, a sandy bottomed uh, sort of like grit dirt base beneath me and then uh, these reeds of grass that were sort of growing up out into the distance a couple feet but that was really cool I, I really kind of appreciated getting to go out there also what i thought was pretty cool at this uh the spot that i was camping out was trying to set up the tripod to take long exposure photos at night there so when it got dark the sky was really cool and there was also still a little bit of those clouds that were sort of drifting in and out at different times which uh kind of added like some cool texture to it they were kind of lower uh, cumulus clouds that are moving pretty quickly across the landscape so if you had uh, a longer exposure of 20 seconds or somewhere around 30 seconds or so you could light in a lot of light which would be cool for the photos of the stars but you could also get a little bit of a drag effect to the view of the clouds those cumulus clouds as they move sort of quickly at low elevations across the the skyline there and so you could kind of uh, over 30 seconds kind of get this sweep look as, it, as these clouds kind of swept across, um, sort of, I think they were moving kind of a, uh, like a, well, I guess it would be sort of like a west to, I guess, generally east motion. I think it was sort of like a northwest, yeah, northwest to like southeast direction, more or less. But it was cool, yeah, kind of watching these clouds sort of zip by. And then I was looking up at, uh, at like, I think it was Jupiter and Saturn that were sort of up against this rim rock area that I was looking at, and I think it was part of the constellation of Sagittarius, and then Scorpio was sort of down by that time, but it was cool looking at that. And then a little bit further over to the east was where a really bright view of Mars was. It has that kind of uh, bright orange sort of coppery color to it, and it looks really beautiful right now. It's cool this time of year. I think it's a near opposition to us, so it kind of rises uh, up around the same time as the sun is setting. It's a little bit off from that, but it looks really large in, in the sky right now. And it's a really uh, beautiful and like bright view of Mars as it's sort of uh, coming up over into the eastern sky as it uh, as it starts to get dark in the evening. But it was cool luck looking at uh, looking at Mars and then looking at Saturn and Jupiter over in the Sagittarius area. So that was kind of cool. And then uh, trying to take photo photographs of that along with uh, some of what you can kind of see within the Milky Way was, was pretty cool, too. Um, so I was trying to set that up and, and get some uh, long exposure uh, night photography of that. And um, yeah, I kind of I really like the way that the, the sweeped look of uh, the clouds look as it kind of uh, kind of crosses the sky. And that's something I was kind of trying to do a bit with uh, some of the photography I was doing out there was uh, trying to get a, a long exposure sweeped look to the, the photos of the clouds in the sky. And it's cool. I've got, um, I've got one of these tools that helps me do that in the daytime uh, too. And so I was saying like I was out there in the daytime, I could take my tripod and then set up this, um, this big stopper, which is really just like a, it, it looks like black smoke glass, but uh, it's got like a, a 10 stop ND filter on it that fits into a pocket that goes over your lens. And so you can set your lens to something that would be 10 stops um, of a slower exposure to gather more light 
and then that kind of gives you an effect so you can kind of change the amount of time that you have your exposure set for if you want to kind of make some different effects, which is really cool if you want to try and shoot like moving water uh, during daytime light. You can kind of change that effect a lot. I've done a lot of cool stuff at rivers with it, but this was really cool too, just going to a landscape where uh, like you're trying to take a picture of a landscape, but there's clouds in the sky. And those clouds will move over a period of 30 seconds. And so you can set it up with this big stopper, take a photograph of that landscape. You can expose correctly for the landscape, but with the big stopper, you get the effect of the time passage. And then that means that you can kind of see the sweep of the clouds in the sky as, uh, as time passed and the clouds kind of moved uh, west to east. So it's pretty cool. Uh, Getting to getting to try that out, and I think some of the results from it are pretty cool, and uh, some of the long exposure results uh, near near dusk or near the blue hour were pretty cool too. So I was happy to to kind of get to try that out and uh, and get to work on that a bit. And then I was also talking about like video clips too. How I was uh, I was trying to get some video clips of different pieces, and that's been working out I think pretty well. I've been trying different spots, like different spots of the coast different spots on this uh, mountain drive I was on, and then here different spots over in eastern Oregon out in the high desert. And uh, I'm kind of trying to get, like, an addition of, uh, you know, just kind of okay or cool or, uh, you know, sort of steady, um, like, full HD video clips at different locations. There's a lot of stuff where I've, like, had my phone and I've just kind of, like, held it and, and recorded a lot. And even still I'm trying to do that with the camera um, to get sort of some casual video recording clips uh, at more times through... Uh, through little trips and travel pieces that I'm doing, just so it seems like I have video content as well as uh, as photo content that I captured on uh, on some of these outings that I do. But uh, but as I'm going around, yeah, trying to capture some cool video pieces, trying to use the tripod for it, and uh, try and get some some steady shots that uh, that are like a little bit more cleaned up than uh, than just some of the walk around stuff that I've done with my phone or with other means in the past. So it's been kind of cool, but still a lot of the primary stuff is is photo for sure. I've had the film camera out a bit. I was uh, setting that up on the tripod, trying to get a couple uh, photographs with it as they kind of go around to different spots. And I thought that was pretty cool. But uh, but yeah, I was dealing with that rocky road out there. So I camped out by that, that lake bed near the rim rock, uh, looking at the stars and stuff. That was really cool. I've got that portable like uh, propane heater with me, and that's really been saving me from the the real cold weather, and I think kind of like I was talking about on that last podcast, um, how I, uh, or I think a couple podcasts back, how um, some of the layering I'm trying to do is like uh, like a wool layer as a base layer, and then uh, a down insulation layer, and then a, a Gore-Tex rain shell over that, and so I was fortunate I didn't have to deal with any like wet weather uh, rain stuff, but that Gore-Tex shell over the down and wool uh, really holds in like a lot of the heat too, so um, that was uh, helping me a ton out there uh, while it was getting pretty cold. I think like you know like this time of year in October, it was like uh, it was it was before it was before the time changed just now. But uh, but at that time it was like six o'clock that it was getting dark. Now it's five o'clock that it's you know just dark out, and it's cold out too. You know it's like uh, clear and you know late October, and then it just gets real cold in those kind of higher elevation. Uh, kind of mountain lake areas out there in eastern Oregon. So it seemed like it was getting kind of near freezing here. There, you know, there pretty soon. It was. It seemed like it was in the 30s at least, like uh, pretty soon after dark. Um, so I was definitely trying to like uh, add up some layers and turn that propane heater on and 
uh, try and stay pretty warm. So I, I wasn't in the tent. I was just in the canopy of my truck, and I was able to stay uh, pretty insulated through the night. So it wasn't really, like, a, a big deal. And um, it was okay. You know, like, I think I've talked about this before, too. My, my sleeping bag, I think, is uh, is rated at, like, a 15-degree sleeping bag. And so this time I, I doubled it up um, with, like, a second sleeping bag that was, like, a 15-degree sleeping bag. And that one, that worked pretty well, but really even still like yeah i was like man i need like a blanket but i think uh, i need to go like for uh, like a, a thicker zero degree bag or something like that maybe i can i can use that and uh or maybe even double that up with this one too but yeah like the dealing with the cold out there as it as it drops down to freezing is i think kind of difficult i don't really ever seem to enjoy it you know like people kind of uh, seem to get through some of those cold nights and and uh, some of those like higher elevation or harsher environments. I mean, Oregon is really like a pretty uh, temperate climate in a lot of ways. I can't imagine like being out in Arizona where it's you know seven degrees or something like that in some of those mountain spots that I've heard of, or um, or certainly like out in uh, anywhere in, like those northern areas or like the boreal forest as it gets into the the winter time and you have to deal with like a lot of snow. You know, this is just kind of like a, a nice sort of dry climate where it's uh, maybe dipping into the the freezing temperatures. Um, but even still, yeah, I've just never really enjoyed, like, uh, just kind of hanging out in the dark with really not a ton of stuff to do. Kind of, I don't know, I guess kind of maybe taking pictures and sort of standing by a little a little space heater. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was pretty fun, though. It was cool, you know, kind of hanging out and sort of putting up with the cold and stuff and, uh, and hanging out by a camp. And, uh, and taking some pictures of the sky at, at night and stuff that was pretty cool but uh but yeah the next day uh, i got up and i think i um uh, tried to put together a little bit of food and stuff that i had which is kind of fun when you're out uh doing the camp and stuff but i got in the truck got in the four-wheel drive going again and then i kind of carried on on that that bumpy mountain road for a while and took a couple forks of the road off to um, another sort of small four or five acre pond bed or lake bed that used to be out there and then now is gone and it sort of uh, rests against uh, what it had kind of eroded against some rim rock against the side and then just sort of some rolling hills that sort of uh, carry on past it but it's these kind of like little dips that kind of come up maybe 100 feet or so then down 80 and then sort of come up and down a little bit as it sort of uh, rolls along on the, the landscape out there and from google earth it looks like it's just a real arid sort of flat um, you know, uh, no vegetation kind of landscape. But when you get out there, you notice that uh, that a lot of it is these sort of, uh, it's kind of a sparsely populated area of juniper trees. But when you sort of look across, it really fills the space up pretty well. Whereas you look across, you see just like a, a good amount of uh, of trees and vegetation. And it's all these, uh, you know, these kind of smaller, but kind of wide in the shape that they are. These uh, like juniper trees are just sort of smaller uh, like evergreen trees out there kind of inter intermix with the sagebrush and stuff and uh, it kind of looks cool with uh, with the type of landscape as it is as, as you look back I think as I was looking toward the south as the mountains kind of pick up a little bit more it kind of uh, just has like a cool look to it as you see like the sagebrush the juniper trees and then it kind of sweeps up as you kind of pick up toward the rim rock as you get near to I think summer lake and you get up uh, as a view toward the the uplift as it moves into the Fremont Winema National Forest. Um, but it was cool, yeah, being out there, driving around, uh, four-wheeling around out there was pretty cool. And uh, uh, I think I went about as far as I could on that road 
before it, it really just sort of like washed out and just kind of turned into to nothing after a while. So uh, I bet somebody could take it a little bit further than I did, but I think it runs into some private property at the end of it. So I decided to kind of wrap up there and then uh, spin around. And then uh, I cruised back to the little town that was out there and stopped in and got uh, coffee, which is uh, always like kind of a necessity. I think I had like my mix with me. I have like my jet boil and, uh, and coffee mix with me, but I stopped in and, um, stopped at a little coffee shop place, which I always kind of try and do at some of these little towns. Like I did it over at the coast a couple of weeks ago too. Not the coast, but I don't know. It was some like little logging town next, next to it, you know? Um, but out here, yeah, in Eastern Oregon, picked up some coffee and I took off to another set of these like small little rolling hills that were out there. So off the, uh, the bigger rim rock section, I went over, I think from, I guess it would be like the South side and then I crossed town and then went north of town to, um, like, the other side of, like, the, I don't know, the top of this lake area that it would be. And then there's this set of, like, little rolling hills that kind of carry on um, for maybe 10 acres or so. And I guess that was, like, a pretty um, anthropologically active area back in the past, which is really cool that these different tribes had moved into the area and then uh, use the land to camp at or to set up and then go out and, and do like hunting trips from around the area. And it's really cool to, to kind of think about the, the land that you're kind of walking around as, uh, as uh, different places that people had camped uh, sort of nomadically through different seasons over uh, thousands of years out there. You know, I think it's like, uh, it's like 12,000 year old um, artifacts dating back to that area around like Fort Rock and uh, I think over by uh, some other Paisley Ice Caves, I think some other area like that. And then there's other information about, um, you know, like uh, more recent stuff too from uh, from history just, you know, a couple hundred years ago. So really cool to kind of be out in that area and get to check it out and walk around and stuff. But, uh, but yeah, this area has a bunch of small roads through it that kind of, uh, kind of roll over the hills and stuff. And um, I was able to have like a pretty good map of what was there. And I've been out to that area a couple of times before, but I didn't really know where the roads went. So I didn't, I didn't really get to explore around as effectively as it was this time, but it was pretty cool getting to um, cut through a couple of different pieces and um, get to stop, get out, get to take like kind of short walks out and get to go up to different lookout points and take pictures and stuff of the, the, the landscape and stuff out there. These uh, little kind of rolling rock formations that sort of carry along these hills for a few acres so that was pretty fun getting to go out there and uh, I kind of made like a big uh, loop with the truck and four wheel drive and uh, sort of came up uh, this like uh, draw along like a creek and then came up the hill and sort of was like a four wheel, you know, like a real four wheeling experience where you're just kind of like, you know, pulling up this, this big kind of rocky thing up to the top of a mountain and then you kind of take off down the backside of it um, and then kind of intersect back down with the main road. But, uh, but yeah, I did that for a good part of the day and uh, kind of took some photos and videos of uh, some of the stuff out there and then uh, took off and I took like a gravel road that, that sort of cut between that small town that I was at to another town further north of there. And there's like a highway infrastructure that sort of connects the two, but that sort of, I guess, would make like a V shape between it. And this uh, gravel road sort of cuts the, the long stretch along the top of the V. And uh, so I, I was able to take that and uh, and take that road uh, back up to this small town before I was able to head out. But it was cool going over through that area 
and uh, I think that was as it was starting to become evening and stuff. And there's a bunch of little spots where I could pull out along the side of it, set up my tripod and take some pictures and stuff. And that evening was cool with the clouds and stuff. Same as I was doing the night before in that area by the rim rock was I was able to, to kind of get out the truck this time. And I had like a little bit more uh, open view where it was just sort of like a bigger, wider open landscape with uh, the cloud formations and then the sky and stuff above that. And I was able to uh, stop for a few of those. Uh, and take some cool long exposure photos of the the night sky and the the sweeping clouds and stuff of the area up there, but it was cool. Yeah, I loved uh, getting out there and going around through some stuff on uh, the high and desert area, especially out there in October. I think it's like my favorite time of year to be out in the high desert and to get to go camping and up in the area up there. You can check out more information at billynewmanphoto.com. You can go to billynewmanphoto.com forward slash support if you want to help me out and participate in the value for value model that uh, we're running this podcast with. If uh, you receive some value out of some of the stuff that I was talking about, you're welcome to uh, help me out and send some value my way through the portal at billynewmanphoto.com forward slash support. You can also find more information there about uh, Patreon and the way that I use it if you're interested or, or feel more comfortable using Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Billy Newman photo. But some of the stuff is going up on Instagram. It's a photograph of uh, the uh, Alvord Desert. It was one that I was, I was working on in Luminar. And that was from a, um, a raw file that I had from the A7R when we were out in the, out in the desert out in the Alvord back in September. And uh, there's like a couple of photos from there that I've been trying to work on a bit more. But through this software called Luminar that I was telling you about, it's like Luminar 2018. It's this update to some software that's been around for a long time. And it's uh, kind of, well, I don't know, a couple of years. It's a newer software. And it's uh, it's definitely got like that modern Mac OS interface system. Kind of like, the you know, how I was showing you some of the stuff in the new Final Cut. How there's some of those button interfaces. Yeah, it looked really similar in the layout. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's similar in it and just sort of the way that it operates and hides certain features. But uh, but it was kind of interesting. It's a lot like the Lightroom system. Like in Lightroom right now, how we have the develop module. It's really a lot of the features that we'd see in the develop module, but really not the type of, of categorization system that we'd have in the, in the library module of Lightroom. And that's, I think, some of the stuff that Luminar is really lacking in right now. Where Luminar really does succeed is like a lot of the options in photo editing and uh, like kind of specific um, or sort of unique editing filters that you can add to the develop module on the side for some of the adjustments that you can make, like um, just some of the ways you can add luminance or brightness or soft glow or, or just different pieces like that. Uh, the software is kind of able to, to provide a lot of different, different ways to add adjustments and stuff to the photographs. And there's been some really interesting stuff that I've been trying to make or, you know, like kind of, kind of coming up with different edits of some of the old photographs that we had just kind of gone through in Lightroom. That's cool. You've been checking it out. I haven't spent any time in it yet. You're doing a, is it like a 14 day trial? Yeah. I picked up, um, yeah, from the website, you can go and get a 14 day trial for the software. Uh, I think in the, the, the Mac app store, you don't really see a, an option for that, but I think you see, uh, just for sale, I think it's like fifty nine ninety nine or sixty nine ninety nine. Uh, there's probably a, a sale going on for Cyber Monday or, or uh, Black Friday. 
Um, but uh, but it's been interesting software, and it's you know it's been cool to use. I've been kind of um, I've been curious to see what other things besides Lightroom are gonna pop up. And so we see like Affinity Photo, we see Luminar, we see Pixelmator. Uh, you know, there's Capture One and there's a few other kind of uh, kind of pro options out there. A lot of them, though, outside of Capture One, um, a lot of them are, are lacking like the the content management or the uh, the digital asset management side of it. Oh, right. I can't remember if it was Luminar or a different one that you had shown me. But yeah, it seemed more like uh, like Photoshop almost where you like you take the file in and you process the file, but it doesn't store your set of photos that you're working yeah, on. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it was, it was for batch editing or, you know, like take, taking a thing, you know, kind of like how we, it, there's a little bit of batch editing stuff, but it still seems clumsy in comparison to the, to the tool set and workflow that you have in Lightroom. So really it seems like you would, you would still need Lightroom in some capacity to sort of organize some of your photographs in a way, at least like right now. Lightroom is really great for that. Yeah. What, of what there is right now for the version that i have right now i'm still way 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 happy with the the workflow that i have for the time being so i have no need to like upgrade to the creative cloud version that's that's the current one that's causing problems uh, yeah. so i'm happy to keep the old version of lightroom and then in some capacity like update some of my raw processing stuff out on the outside of that to luminar where i get to kind of take advantage of some of the the more modern processing techniques that are available in something like luminar or something like pixelmator or something like Affinity, like some just the different preset packages and, and mess around with some of the new creative stuff that's kind of new and modern for photography in 2018 as it's going to be. Um, it's kind of, it's cool to be able to test that out, but it's also nice to really be able to keep Lightroom around in the background. Yeah. And uh, and just have that have that there to organize stuff. Like even just like what I was talking about, of um, like this big project I had of, of, you know, kind of trusting it to transfer 600 gigabytes of photographs through the computer and then onto a second hard drive and then categorize those under a file name by, by day, date and year. I just wouldn't really trust like software, like Luminar to do that. It's not capable of anything like that. Like you were talking about, it can just take one graphic file in at a time, process it and then save that out as a graphic file. But it's not even like that same kind of non-destructive system where you, you work on it for a while and then you just leave the program and it's saved those edits, those adjustments to the photograph are saved non-destructively to the file. It's still non-destructive editing, but you still, you have to save it as like a project file. So like ultimately, instead of like just a single catalog where you would go through a lot of images, if you were working in Luminar more exclusively, you would have a folder of your photographs or photo projects, let's say, and you would have a photo, like a Photoshop file, but a Luminar file that was the image with the adjustments set aside to it. It's a really big file too. It's like with these like 45, 50 megabyte A7R photos, it's like a 70 megabyte file. That's huge. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So my poor little hundred gigabyte hard drive is, uh, is choking. <laughs> so it's, uh, I don't know. It's okay. Um, but the Luminar stuff, it's been cool to, cool to work with. I'm going to try and do some screen capture stuff with it. And with that, just kind of thinking about doing screen capture stuff, it's been making me think about screen capture stuff and trying to figure out how to do it. And I didn't really know how to do screen capture work before. And I've, pretty quickly, I just figured out, like, uh, from people, you know, everywhere saying it, that you can just use QuickTime, the QuickTime player on the Mac to do that. And it works really well. Like, I, I pulled up QuickTime, and then you go, like, file, start new screen capture, 
and then you click on the monitor that you want to start recording and you can kind of set some commands around if, if it's going to show the mouse click or mouse capture at all. And so it was able to do that. I don't know. I was able to practice a couple of times and make some screen captures. And uh, I want to try and transition that over to some of the stuff that we were talking about of like similar to this right now, like record audio, like we're doing in the podcast, but then run a screen capture on the background while we're working in something like Luminar, while we're going through one of the photographs that we have from, you know, someplace that we were at. And then we can show some of the adjustments and some of the ways of working in Luminar and making adjustments and then saving a file out. And then we can put that up as content on YouTube or, you know, other than, yeah, YouTube. That's where I went. Facebook or something <laughs> too. You know, they take videos. Yeah, that's really so, cool that you figured out uh, the screen capture stuff. It's awesome. It's so easy. Yeah, it's, you know, it will be easy for us. For and, at least this kind of screen capture. Yeah, I'm hoping that I can try and uh, put some work into it and uh, and make some of the stuff, you know, sort of basic, but uh, but kind of easy to put together. And if it's as easy as this, like, of um, you know, just doing the podcast and doing it in the studio and having the audio and stuff running, um, yeah, it should be a good way to, to put together some some good image editing pieces for something like Luminar. I, I, was, I was scanning around on YouTube and there's really a pretty limited amount of good, of good introductory videos for some of this stuff. There's some that the company itself has put out and those are pretty good, oh, but yeah. some of the stuff on the outside of it, just the, the photography and the advice and the, the direction of editing and stuff around Luminar or around Affinity. Um, some of the training tutorial videos I saw around it are just, they're kind of goofy and you don't really see like what's going on. Or, you know, you just kind of end up with some kind of crazy image. That's it's just sort of some kind of quick. <laughs> oh, easy, sure. Not how to not how to do real editing, but just if you crank this tool, this is the part that it's affecting. That's what it seemed like they ended up showing. I understand the idea that like when you're you're screen capturing and trying to figure out how to make something artistic, it doesn't really go together so well. So you kind of have, have to do it like uh, Martha Stewart a little bit and have the two ovens going at the same time. So as soon as you put the pie in the oven to bake, then you pull out the pie that's already cooked, right? Like, so you, already, you have to have a couple pieces already done uh, in advance. But, um, but yeah, it was kind of it was kind of funny watching some of the stuff. Is uh, um, it just doesn't seem like it's really developed yet. So, yeah, I want to try and put together some of the stuff around uh, our cool photos, our uh, our outdoor photos. Yeah, I think that's cool to get into. Do some landscape tutorials or something. If I can figure out how to edit, it might be just good practice for me to learn how to edit some photographs. I don't really edit enough. Uh, I don't do enough retouching, you know, oh, to like sure. really practice my skill to like hone the, the craft of retouching. I don't know how it was for you, like doing a bunch of the wedding stuff. Like it's a lot of retouching to do, but just like it's the advancement of like getting better at retouching or, you know, I feel like, like my retouching skills are something that have definitely improved. I think oh, it's like yeah. other kinds of editing that I want to get into or just the more, the more stylized way of putting not not in a gross way yeah I don't know I don't know exactly what I'm really thinking about but I'm trying to just get more more refined in yeah in how I'm putting my photos together but retouching specifically pretty good at because <laughs> wedding yeah. photos are great practice yeah oh yeah I'm sure I'm sure you get like a ton of practice in that but I want to try more too. And that's, that's why I'm messing around with Luminar. And, but really there's so much I can do in Lightroom still, or, you know, it's just kind of practicing, retouching and kind of working toward doing a better job at putting the files together and making them nicer, going back over some of the old ones. And I want to try and do a little bit more to like rough draft photos or, you know, like, Oh, oh this is a, mean? well, just like, this is a rough draft of the edit. So I could go through and Lightroom. Oh, sure. And I, so you I, do like your first set of editing and then you 
Yeah, then I it. look at it and then I should edit it, kind of redline it a little bit, you know, see like, oh, this is good, this is bad. Or I see this, I see this grading, this light doesn't look natural. So some of that sort of stuff is the uh, the thing I should work on. Yeah, I noticed that that helps me a lot to go, to like kind of come back to things a few times before they're done. I'd like to try and do that a little bit more. I should try and take it more seriously, like the editing part. Editing and publishing part, I want to try and jump on more. It's winter time now. I got to put in more. Uh, it's a good time for studio hours. More studio hours is what more I got to do. Time. Way more editing time. So for uh, for the Luminar stuff that you have gotten to do, um, how is its editing compared to Lightroom? Um, like for for the parts of it that would be similar or comparable tools, like do you notice one seeming like it's better? Or do you notice what, like is Lightroom still just the best thing that there is? Yeah, an old or version of Lightroom is still the best <laughs> that there is. Yeah, an old version of Lightroom, I think Sounds is. Right. It's, it's really what it feels like right now. I mean, apparently there's some stuff in 2018 that's supposed to handle more. Like, um, of the, I'm the sure import. there'll be a bunch of stuff coming out. Yeah, it's, it's the digital asset management part that's not really built yet. Sure. And, um, and, and that's but, the thing that's going to be built, I guess, in 2018 coming out by some of these software companies. Yeah. And that's when we're going to be able to see, like, which one might be better. But really, as it stands right now, it'd be, it still seems like Lightroom. For how about for like the actual photo editing part though, or what I what you're able to do yeah, with the for editing the, of an image, not so much organization of for photos. the yeah, that's a big part of it. Um, and going through there, there's there's interesting stuff that you can do. Uh, I know it's a new tool to learn, also. So there's probably an amount of just getting used to it. There's that part too. You know, when in 1992, 93, when Photoshop first came out, you see like, um, oh you gosh. see the, the art from, from that, the photography art from then. And it was yes. just like these insane rasterized images that didn't make any sense. So and it, some pretty freaky pictures. Yeah. It was, it, it was just like, uh, all the colors were like transposed into like these weird, super hard, like greens and reds and yellows. I remember lots of yellows. It was just if you cranked if you cranked everything to one side, and it was just like, oh, yeah, right, just really we got harsh. it. Look at that. But it was just the it was just because they didn't know what to do with it yet, so they did the most with it. Sure, yeah. And it was bad. And then like <laughs> since then they like pulled back a lot, and so now like it looks like real life, or they're like like they're building something digital to look real. You know, it's like the, the artistic part of it's back, where you just kind of you're just using the same thing to to try and lay in the same type of artistic principles that you would anywhere else. So part of that is to say in the same way as we're coming into these new tools and people are learning these new tools, like, like HDR was back in 2007. It's like mm. too hard sometimes. So similarly with some of this stuff, it's a little bit too hard on the editing side. And uh, I noticed that with Lightroom for years, like, you know, when Lightroom came out and with my own photos, when I edited them, there's just like, yeah, there's just too much, there's just a little too much pressure, like a little too much gain or something on the signal. Like it was just about to break up mm. is what it felt like sometimes. <sighs> so I don't know. That's just sort of like the immaturity of the photographer myself in this case and, uh, and kind of how to understand how to use the tools. But uh, as it goes, the final answer of it is that any of these tools can really result in the same outcome of great work. You know, like what you would know too. It's like, uh, it's just the artistic side of learning how to use some of these really basic tools to make more simple and refined adjustments to some spots that make the image a little bit more powerful. 
like trying to do basic stuff like crop or color correction or um or like a little bit of, of tone curve stuff you know like make it brighter make it a little bit more contrasty that's sure. about all you can really do i i think there's there's different layers and there's different heavy amounts of presets and hue grading like whatever whatever that stuff is of the the forest photos with no green mm-hmm. yeah. there's there's that i guess that you can add but i really think that like a lot of it should be pretty slight adjustments that are there to try and like add to the photo in some way. And I think that those you can do in any of these softwares, you know, in in any control panel of adjustments on the side, you can, you can export to anything that like would really, that would work pretty well. But in the same way, it's just like a new flavor of a thing to do, or it's a new workflow that kind of breaks up some of the old crusty habits that I've had in the past. Yeah. Like that's how it is with Lightroom, trying to go from Lightroom to Luminar or, you know, and just, and just, messing with it capture one not a chance it was way too complicated way too kludgy of a of an interface system there maybe for a pro that was really into that system they could do it It, i'm not required to i'm not tied down to it at all so it just seemed like this would be a waste of time ultimately for me to like really put a ton of pressure into if it's really not a more productive tool for me to get something done yeah you follow what i mean yeah it's like this just seems like hard and complicated yeah not necessary yeah 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 well it's a little bit i don't have a capture one or i don't have the phase one medium format camera you know yeah if you if, if i dropped got a, a the, you know some insane camera dropped off i guess i'd try and mess with that software more you know because it's like proprietary to it but yeah. outside of that uh, you know no i don't need it and i and i didn't buy the pro software either so um i guess you know this the, the decision was made for me as it goes though with uh, using like Lightroom and Luminar, I don't know the editing stuff. It works really well. I've been digging the Luminar stuff because it's a little bit of a way to break up some of the editing choices that I was making in Final Cut or, or sorry in Lightroom continually. And so changing that part up has been a good way to do stuff. Like I like the photograph that I uh, that I put together of the Alvord Desert over here um, from one of the raw files that we shot out in the Alvord with the a7r and uh it was like you know during sunset and i was able to kind of pull in some of the warmth the, the original photo was kind of great you remember the day out there the alvord was a little bit gray it was a little low on color and low on warmth and stuff right. i was able to pull a lot of that back into uh to the raw file you know to to the image when i was editing it and i kind of i just like the way that some of it came out so i really like how that one came out the colors look really nice and natural yeah yeah it's like it's yeah. like it's, it's well put together it, yeah as as photo editing software did, that goes, it did fine. It works nicely. It comes together, you know, pretty well. So I was happy with that. But uh, yeah, some of the batch editing stuff, it's got a long way to go. Some of the resizing stuff, it did fine. Or, you know, like uh, just just setting up kind of the export file, the export system of what, what oh, you can yeah. do to the file on the way out. That's a little bit reduced from some of the bigger options that you have in Lightroom. Lightroom has a ton of option variations to get into yeah. for exporting. Yeah. So like the workflow that I have at work, like outside of an artistic workflow where you're trying to take a choice image and then make adjustments to it to make it its best and then export that as like a piece of art. Outside of that kind of workflow, like what I do on the production side of taking a few hundred stock photos of equipment and trying to process that, like batch process it and batch export it. 
this sort of software would just be no good because you'd still you kind of can do batch processing, but it's real clumsy. It's nothing like what you would really expect if you're trying to do it efficiently or, you know, properly. And that's kind of a tricky thing. So I don't know. We'll see like what they, they kind of develop over time. But like I would never want to switch over from Lightroom to something like this if I were trying to do batch processing and exporting of all the production work that I do. It would never oh, work as that, you know, like, not. yeah, because like to take to grab 30 photos and then export those and have the export resize all 30 of those to whatever long width of it and whatever file type into whatever directory of a folder. It just I don't have the option to do that. And some of the Luminar stuff, I can like edit the photo sort of like you were talking about, like edit the photo in Photoshop, make some adjustments but not really any healing brush adjustments. You can kind of get by with healing brush, but like the healing brush stuff, it works way better in Photoshop. Like the content aware healing, mm-hmm. way more effective than probably, I mean, like it's just Adobe. They've been doing it for 30 years trying to figure out how to do that technology. And they're way better than probably anybody at the algorithm that, that does the cloning tool stuff. I'm amazed at like some of the stuff they can do. So you can, you can kind of get by in Luminar if you need to like clone something out. But it's still a little tough. It's like, it's it's still a little patchy. Yeah. I remember <laughs> like the, the cloning out tool that Lightroom has or that like really basic one. Like really oh, yeah. just started being yeah. good yeah. not that long ago. Exactly. Yeah. It was bad. It was really bad. I remember it being frustrating. Yeah. That's the only thing. I always thing. had to use Photoshop. I always had to bring it into Photoshop. Yeah. One time just to do... A yeah, little just bit some of work. Touch-up piece. Yeah, <laughs> just some little tiny things. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. My workflow is completely different now. I really just only use Lightroom. Yeah. I right? almost never like I did a lot of basic but um but like necessary uh like retouching and stuff for wedding photos. Yeah. And uh just like stuff on skin and stuff uh or like things in the background and really like it gets the textures of thing and the t- colors or like the, the shading just in the patch yeah so so well now it's really impressive like you can do so much with retouching just in lightroom now I'm, I'm and way, i used yeah. to i remember i used to i had a friend who's a makeup artist and i used to help him with photo shoots for his projects and I would do a lot of retouching for those shots afterwards. And I always had to take them into Photoshop because Lightroom couldn't do like just little basic skin retouching things. Wow. Yeah, I remember Not that too. Not in a good way. I, I know, I know. I could never do it. And yeah, it's gotten much, much better. Like the, the healing yeah, brush tool has gotten yeah. much better. Um, so I'm sure it's probably better even still in like the more advanced versions than the, the few years old version of Lightroom that we're running right now. And I hear that there's other tools, like I hear Pixelmator is really quite good for the healing system like that. And I hear, um, what was the other one? I don't know. I think it maybe it's Pixel. It might be Pixelmator, but I hear that that's, or maybe it's Affinity, but one of those softwares is the one to use for like your 3D images. Like if you're getting like 3D photos or something, you have one of those, uh, the, or I'm sorry, not 3D, the, the 360 degree cameras. Oh yeah. Where you're recording like a spherical image. Yeah. And you like stitch it. Yeah, I guess you can stitch it in this program and then you can do you can do some of the healing brush stuff around like the base of it where the camera is. Uh-oh. Like, you know, like a 360, like say you were to look around, you can look up like but straight up. There's going to be like a, a, a dot. It's going right. to be like a gray dot where there's no data. And then like straight down, there's going to be the same thing. 
where some of the data is coming together. And so I guess like this, this is the software that works even better than Photoshop right now to work on these 360 image environments where you can go through and like pull the image around and then use the healing brush on one of those spots and then have it close that out. And then you can render that out as a, as a 360 uh, like file to what, I don't even know what file type that is. And then, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then, and then edit it from, or, you know, work on it and, and use it from there. But that's how they're, like they're producing some of these files. Interesting. That's cool. I want to try and learn a little bit about that. Like, and also like, uh, and how that 360 stuff relates to the stock photography market. I was looking at that a little bit. Like, um, when you look at iStock photo or story blocks, which, um, takes like video and audio and photo. And then there's like pond five. There's a handful of other like uh, stock photo systems out there, but a lot of the stock photography sites, they're talking about a need for these 360 environments for like people that are doing VR development, that sort of thing. So they need these file, these, these stock files to build their VR environments with like good produced or, you know, well-produced 360 images. I was trying to figure out. Like, oh, that's oh, so wow. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think like, oh, I wonder how like we could do that sort of on the side of doing other landscape stuff, but you know, go out to places and then do get like 360 footage and then edit or, you know, like do just like some of the simple production stuff of it and then put it up on some of these stock sites that it, where it's like in need to get this type of 360 content. Yeah. Where there's already so much of a flood of landscape work in stock as right. it goes. Huge amount. Yeah. So we like that. But I'm trying to think of like content and media work that's sort of around, like maybe we're not going to get paid for landscape photos for a little bit. So, but maybe we can make stock 360 photos yeah, <laughs> and make a little bit of money because cool. there's not enough of those right now. And then, and then use that as an excuse to go on trips out to Eastern Oregon and, and make photos of Fort Rock or, you know, somewhere cool in Lake sure. County, but we're, but we're making a, some 360 photos or th some 360 content or something like that that's uh that you know goes up on one of these stock sites but it's just kind of a fun side idea so yeah. we can try in the springtime maybe that's interesting i didn't know that that was a, a part of the stock photography need now it seems like it's coming into a lot of stuff around vr yeah vr is really big <sighs> yeah yeah a lot of stuff around vr and a lot of drone footage is, oh, man. is I'm in super demand into the drone stuff i want a drone really badly this next year we should try and get an inexpensive drone. We should try and take it to some spots to get some good basic stock footage of uh, sure. of some good stuff outside. Yeah, like the places that we go, you know, all that stuff would be great to get uh, 360 and like aerial drone stuff. But, you know, like that's what I was thinking. It's like, man, I bet we could run a business, really, if if we just try to book ourselves to do like even just stock yeah, trips to do like footage. 360 and uh, and aerial drone footage that goes up onto stock sites as we like populated it in like a pretty significant effort to produce and produce, produce, but yeah. you know, like one of the trips we made or something like that. Yeah. If we did that two or three days a week, wherever we were going, you know, and like, uh, like we took off to, you know, somewhere and, and, you know, worked out of a hotel for a couple of days and made some aerial shots and some 360 shots sort of a thing. And then edited them and put them up from, uh, you know, whatever, we'd probably be like some of the first people to make 360 and aerial content of a lot of these outdoor places. That'd be so cool. I'm really into that. Yeah. I think the 360 stuff is a cool idea. Yeah. And I've been, yeah, I've been on board for the drone stuff. Oh like yeah, that. I know. I know. Yeah. We need a couple grand. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> we, we need some bucks. Oh man. Oh man. 
Yeah, but I, I really want to try and do that. Yeah, I was, I was thinking like, wow, yeah, we'd probably make some of the first, especially under the scope of being like cinematography. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's probably a handful of things that are going up, but it's, it's probably not as much like shot or, you know, like, like a photo, photography level yeah. work. And uh, I think that we could probably excel in that pretty quickly if we, were, uh, if we were jumping in there. But first, we should get our toes wet, and this winter we should try and put up, like, a portfolio of at least 100 of our images and try and go through and, like, learn about it, like, put up the photos into a stock library, try and tag them and title them and get them, like, in there, get our account going, get our, just get, get it figured yeah, out. You know what I mean? get familiar with how. Yeah. How their system works. Yeah, and then see like, oh yeah, okay, this is the sort of stuff that we're seeing in 360 video right now. But I know it's probably going to be maybe not a fat. I think it's really going to be like something content related to virtual reality. Virtual reality is going to be really necessary, and that could be static photos like it's been. It could be like 360 video. It could be a lot of different things. But it's kind of interesting that um, it's just like a new thing that's sort of opening up. Uh, so we should try it. It'd be fun. There's probably like a need for it somewhere on the West Coast. And uh, I don't know. Maybe we can get paid for it someday. That'd be cool. We'll be so on the on the edge, Marina. <laughs> That's what we got to do. We got to be on the cutting edge. Cutting edge of VR. Ooh. Stock photography. <laughs> Ooh. I'm in. That sounds cool. We can put it on a resume, Marina, that we make, we're, we're VR content developers. Yeah. Ooh. Sounds great. Yeah, it's a good, hey, it's going to be real, Marina. It's already the yokels here. around here. They don't know, but we know. Oh gosh, we know, Marina. We gotta stay ahead. We gotta stay ahead. We gotta do it. But I think that's probably everything uh, I got going on for uh, for this episode of the podcast. What about you, Marina? I think that wraps it up pretty well. Thanks a lot for checking out this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Hope you guys check out some stuff on BillyNewmanPhoto.com few new things up there some stuff on the homepage, some good links to other other outbound sources some some links to books some links to some podcasts links to some blog posts all pretty cool but yeah check it out at billy thanks a lot for listening to this episode of the podcast talk to you next time